Blog Talk Radio. Wealthy Sisters, the show that features six- and seven-figure earning women of color. Tune in Mondays at 12 New Eastern Standard Time as Deborah Hardnett, CEO of Deborah Hardnett International and founder of The Professional Black Woman, showcase the triumphant journeys of these powerful sisters. You will be inspired, encouraged, and informed every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Our call-in number is 347-838-9278. Today's broadcast is brought to you by www.wealthysisters.com, where the show can be heard 24 hours a day. And now your host, Deborah Hardnett. Well, hello and welcome to Wealthy Sisters, sponsored by the Professional Black Woman Association. You can visit us at our new website, www.thepbwa.com. Wealthy Sisters is where we celebrate the lives of six- and seven-figure earning women of color. And our purpose is twofold. First, we want to inspire and encourage you, the listener, and second, to edify, promote, and acknowledge, or just say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on the Blog Talk Worldwide Network. Today is Monday. Can you believe it? May 3rd. 2010, and I hope you are as excited about your future because I am. Here, you know we are here every week at the same time, Mondays at 12 noon Eastern, so go and spread the good news. Now, before we go further, you know what we must say. We started at the beginning of the year, and we're sticking to it. We're going to wear it out. Let's say it together. Today, we know it. Let's hear it. Here's to 2010, the best year ever. One more time. Here's to 2010, the best Best year ever. That's right. We're standing on that for sure. You know, names that I think of like George Washington Carver or Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, and Madam C.J. Walker. These are great and powerful names, names that we've learned so much about in our history. Have you ever wondered, I mean, I know I have, who their ancestors might be, you know, what is happening to their legacy, how is it being fulfilled within the family? Well, today we are in for an awesome treat. We don't have to wonder about one young lady, that is Madam C.J. Walker, because her heir is our Special guest today, we are so blessed to have Madam G- Madam C.J. Walker, as we know, for all, was one of the first networkers. She was fearless and amassed a fortune during a time that was not as easy as it is for us today. So right now, we need for you to go and tell everyone. We want you to email Text them, let them know that any questions that they might have or have had about Madam C.J. Walker, we can answer them today because our special guest is Miss Alilia Bundles, who happens to be the great, great granddaughter of Miss Madam C.J. Walker. Wow, how awesome is that? So definitely have everybody dial in to 347-838-9278, or you can listen in on the web live with us 
Or you can catch the replay. Even if you're at work and you've got to come back, somebody step into your office, don't worry about it. Go to www.wealthysisters.com. And again, that number is 347-838-9278. Now, also, Alilia Bundles is a award-winning biography on her own ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, about her great, great grandmother, was named as a 2001 New York Times Notable Book and the Association of Black Women Historians 2001 Best Book on Black Women's History. She currently is at work on Joy Goddess, the first major biography of her great-grandmother, Alilia Walker, a central figure of the Harlem Renaissance. Ooh, I can't wait to read that. During her 30-year career as an Emmy Award-winning producer and executive with ABC News and NBC News, Bundles covered, covered hundreds of national and international stories for ABC's World News, Tonight with Peter Jennings and NBC's Today and Nightly News. A popular public speaker, Bundles has appeared at Harvard University, the National Archives, London City Hall, the Israeli Presidential Conference and the Library of Congress, and on NPR, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, BBC, and PBS. Her articles have published have been published in the New York Times Book Review, Essence, Parade, Fortune Small Business, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine. Bundles is a trustee of Columbia University and serves on the boards of the Foundation for the National Archives and the Madam Walker Theater Center, a national historic landmark in Indianapolis. In 2003, she created the 100 Books. 100 Women Campaign to Expand the Library at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women in New York. As well, she spearheaded the national campaign that led to the 1998 U.S. Postal Service Black Heritage Stamp of Madam Walker. Ms. Bundles, who lives in Washington, D.C., graduated magnum cum laude from Harvard College, we're not surprised, and Radcliffe College, and received a master's degree from the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. She is a member of the Alpha Iota Chapter and Phi Beta Kappa at Harvard College. Well, after we take this short break, we have the pleasure to present to you today none other than Ms. Alilia Bundles. Stay tuned. This is going to be a great show. Business leaders, are you ready to soar? Success is not defined by your wings, but by your courage to leap from the cliff's edge and fly. With Fortune 500 expertise, the Beatty Group partners with creative and motivated leaders, weaving structure and innovation for maximum business success. Visit us at thebeattygroup.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-T-I-E group.com. Or call the Beatty Group at 877-264-7699. This segment is sponsored by WillDrake.com. That's www.WillDraike.com. The hot new suspense novel, Bad and Worse, A Tale of Men, published by Thermal Coast Publishing. Sometimes the only way to stop a killer is... Well, hello, this is Deborah Hartnett back live on Wealthy Sisters. We are so excited today for our very, very special guest, Miss Alilia Bundles, who happens to be the great, great granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker. Wow, this is an honor 
and a privilege, and we are just going to tune in right now. We want to welcome you to our show today, Miss Bundle. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Well, I'm great, and I just tweeted and Facebooked the fact that we're on, so I hope that we'll hear from some folks. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Well, I tell you, our lines are filling up fast. They, I mean, we know it's going to be a packed-out call. The chat room is going off as well. This is just an honor, really, just to have you on the show. We just so humbly thank you for being here today with us. Oh, yeah, just it's a joy. And I, I am so delighted to meet you on the phone and look forward to meeting you in person. I'm excited about the work that you're doing to promote women, to encourage women, and to inspire others. Yes, well, definitely. I have to tell the story how we actually met. And it's, it was just, I was so amazed by it. And I guess it, uh, I, I should not, well, I shouldn't say this, but I, I guess I get, this is what I get for listening to the prank phone calls every day. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Harvey. But I remember uh, when we were planning for our conference, the Winter Summit, We, uh, Madam C.J. Walker has always been an inspirational figure for me because entrepreneurship has always been something I've been passionate about, and uh, we did a tribute to her on our website for the Winter Summit Conference, and I guess it probably maybe two, three hours after we posted the tribute on the site, I got this phone call from <laughs> a young lady who said, hi, this is Amelia Bundles. I'm the great-great-granddaughter of Ma- Madam C.J. Walker, and I said, huh, wait a minute, <laughs> and I asked you, I said, is this a prank phone call? <laughs> I was just so amazed that you took the time to actually call and say such nice things and to encourage us um, with our conference. So thank you for being who you are today. Well, you know, isn't that the power of the Internet? And when you think about how women like Madam Walker, when she started her business in 1906, there was no Internet, no Facebook, no Twitter. Um, You know, there were phones, but not that many people had phones. She really had to do everything or almost by, you know, the sort of the, the touch method as opposed to the virtual method by traveling and how far we've come. Um, but some of her ideas for communicating with people and inspiring people are still very effective. So we just now are able to use those things electronically. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's why I mentioned in the beginning of our show, not not to uh, say that amassing a fortune today and creating wealth and becoming a millionaire and, and all those things that people, whatever people desire to do, not to say that it is easy, but we definitely have no excuse today with all of the technology that you just mentioned. And just imagine the time that uh, Madam C.J. Walker built what she did in that time frame. It's just incredible. Exactly. What, you know, and when we think about what, what kind of business she had, she really was one of the pioneers of what's now an international billion-dollar cosmetics and hair care industry. But when she started, again, more than 100 years ago, the, her other, the other women, they were, and it was mostly women, Elizabeth Arden, another name we're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. Helena Rubinstein, and then Madam Walker's major uh, African-American competitor, Annie Malone, these women really created an industry. Men weren't interested in cosmetics. Uh, you know, only fast women and women on the stage wore lipstick. <laughs> and, uh, and hair care was really just kind of primitive. Uh, most people didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity, so bathing was not frequent. Uh, you know, we don't want to go too deeply into that. But, and washing your hair was 
was not something that people did on a regular basis. It was more a monthly or quarterly basis, which seems hard to believe. But these women really saw a need that other women had, and they created that. And I think we still see that that's what innovation is really about. And these women were able to um, create something, to create a sales force. And I think, for me, what's most amazing about Madam Walker is that she was a great communicator, and she used this um, network of women that she had learned about through the National Association of Colored Women and women's uh, the women's Baptist groups and AME women's groups, and she saw the power of organizing and really used that to help develop her sales force. Wow, that's incredible. Can we just take a, a brief moment and just kind of go back to, I guess, your your history as far as um, where you were born and when you first realized the legacy that that you were, you know, that that you represent through Madam C. J. But you know, when I when I was growing up, I, I'll tell you in a, in a very organic way, the silverware that we used every day had Madam Walker's initials, uh, C J W on it. So uh-huh. I I knew about that. My mother was vice president of the Madam C J Walker Manufacturing Company, and I would go with her to her office in downtown Indianapolis in a building that is now a National Historic Landmark called the Madam Walker Theater Center. So I saw my mother at work in this office, and my father was president of another hair care company called Summit Laboratories. So some of your listeners may have used uh, the products Precon Gel or Hair Straight or Princess Kitten. Those were some of the products from from Summit Laboratories. So I grew up with both parents in the hair care business and knew about Madam Walker, knew there was a building named after her, knew that we had these you know, this china and silver and other things in our house. But I was really interested in writing, and my mother, who was the fourth generation of women in her family to have been involved with the company, encouraged me to follow my dreams. And so I'm proud to say that following my dreams led me back to telling the story, but I've spent, as you said, time as a producer and an executive with ABC. Um, But I love telling the story now. Mm, that that is so powerful. I mean, we think, we know about that pre-con gel. I know some of us, some of us might be too too young to know about the baby right. hair. We had to slick down that's, on the side. Oh, yes, well, that's exactly right. It was great for setting your hair and forgetting those those little that little baby hair to yes. separate. Uh, <laughs> that 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 I do remember for sure. That is phenomenal. So now you talked a little bit about the um the the warehouse, which is now known as the Madam Walker Theater Center today. Can you share a little bit more about what the um, Theater Center does today? Sure. It is it is a beautiful um, block-long flat iron building with wonderful terracotta design on the outside. And it, it's a four-story building, and it was the headquarters of the Madam Walker uh, company for more than 60 years. And it's now a theater, it's now a cultural arts center because on the first floor there was a retail and commercial space. There is a beautiful theater built in 1927, African Art Deco, one of the only examples of African Art Deco that still exists. It seats 940 people, and we have performances there from Smokey Robinson and um, oh, Gladys Knight and you know jazz groups um, and lots of. Theater, lots of plays. We don't have an in-house theater group, but we have lots of performances. And the Russian ballet and Chinese acrobats, so wonderful performances. There's also a beauty salon 
uh, in the building that's been there since 1927, and wow. a couple of other um, couple of other offices. And then the second floor, which was the original factory, is now uh, now offices for a variety of nonprofits uh, that operate in Indianapolis. Same thing on our third floor, and then our fourth floor is the ballroom that was there, that's been there since 1927, as well as our offices for the Walker Theater Center. So people can go to my website at madamcjwalker.com, M-A-D-A-M-C-J-Walker.com, and click on the link to the Walker Theater, or they can go directly to walkertheater.com, and theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E, theater, walkertheater.com. We just hired a new... CEO uh, Terry Whit Bailey, who is we're just so excited about. She is absolutely fantastic. Has a, a background in dance uh, and the arts, and has run a similar uh, facility in Muncie, Indiana. She's originally from Indianapolis, so she's been in place just about three weeks and um, really taking things to the next level. And just one final thing, we are honoring a one of uh, Indianapolis's most successful African American entrepreneurs, a man named William Mays, at, an, at a luncheon on May 12th. So if any of your listeners um, are in Indianapolis on May 12th, please come by the Madam Walker Theater Center at 617 Indiana Avenue. Wow, that's great. So is, is this um, the center? Are people able to rent out the ballroom for Absolutely. events as well? Absolutely. Okay. We, we okay. rent it out. We rent both the theater and the ballroom, and then we have a little small conference center for meetings. So it's a very popular site. Wow, wow. That's that's wonderful to be able to say that you're having an event there. We definitely um, uh, are excited about that. So now, with, when we think about the, the history um, of Madam C.J. Walker, I know I, I, I have heard so much um, as far as she was the first millionaire, she... Um, all the things that she did, we we always called her the first and original networker. Yes, kind of yes. Alluded to that <laughs> in our call. But what what type of uh, stories or myths or anything that you would like to you know let us know as far as the 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 true biographical um, infra, bi- biography information mm-hmm. for us today? Well, I'll tell you. Let's well, let's start with the big myth, and then we <laughs> go to the biography. <laughs> There are there are still thousands and thousands of people who believe that Madam Walker invented the hot comb, and so I always have to correct that. Madam Walker did not invent the hot comb, and I, I when I make speeches, I have people repeat it back to me, and I say, please tell all your friends that Madam Walker's great great granddaughter told you this was not true. And that's I mean that's a myth that developed through the years. You know, the truth right. is there were hot combs that were around as early at least as the 1870s in Europe. I think probably more than one person had a version and invented some various metal hair care devices. A Frenchman named Marcel Grateau, and you know the Marcel wave, that's what it came from. His oh. his implements were available in the 1870s. In 1890, in Sear, in the Sears catalog and the Bloomingdale's catalog, there were hot combs. Now, they presumably had a mostly white clientele. So there were white women who must have been using hot combs as well. 
I was going to say, where I do they know. go with it? Well, you know, they, some well, of them, some the of them have I know that. their hair is kinky. So yeah, that's too. right. Uh-huh. Some, we, you know, we're not the only ones with that wonderful kinky hair that we uh-huh. that we love, that some uh-huh. of us that's love. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. So so that myth just developed to be years. Now, she did use the hot comb so that, you know, the people, I think people just associate it with her. But, you know, for me, her life is really one of the great American rags to riches stories and. She was born in Delft, Louisiana in 1867 on the same plantation where her parents had been enslaved before the Civil War, and she was the first child in her family born free. So there was a lot of hope that her family must have had for her, but when she was seven, both of her parents died. And she moved in with an older sister. She said she got married at 14 to get a home of her own to escape her cruel brother-in-law who abused her. Mm. She had her only child at 17, and then at 20, her first husband, Moses McWilliams, died. So here she was a widow at 20 with a, with a two-year-old, and she moved up the river from Mississippi, where she was living at that point, to St. Louis, where she had three brothers who were barbers. And that tells you something about how she got must have gotten exposed to the hair care industry. Mm-hmm. Her brothers had a their, – their barbershop was a block or so away from – St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. And for those of your listeners who know about the AME Church, you know there is a long tradition for helping, reaching out to others. And it was, I think, those women of St. Paul who were school teachers and more educated and more middle-class women who reached out to Sarah Breedlove and, and began to give her a vision of herself as something other than an illiterate washerwoman. And so she began transforming herself and eventually her hair began to fall out. She experimented with products and developed a line of products that she began to sell, a shampoo and ointment that contained sulfur. Now, those products 100 years ago were quite revolutionary. We have There's so many advances now. Most people would not use those same products again because the oils are really quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know now moisturizing and other kinds of, Things are, you know, probably healthier for our hair, more natural products. I mean, that I, I look at someone like uh, Lisa Price at Carol's Daughter and think she's sort of the modern-day version of what I would think Madam Walker would be doing if she were living now and, you know, really the way that she's developing her business in a successful way. So Madam Walker developed these products, sold them in a very humble way initially. She married her good friend Charles Joseph Walker, who knew something about mail-order business and they began to travel around her daughter was also involved and then eventually she became a millionaire and i i think what for me what ultimately makes her worth remembering is that not just that she was a millionaire um but that she used that money and influence to make a difference politically and for advocating women's economic independence now just to quickly answer your question about the millionaire piece She was a millionaire by the time she died in 1919. Now, there are places you'll see she was the Guinness Book of World Records for many years said she was the first self-made American woman millionaire, and not that she didn't inherit it or marry somebody who had that money. So Mm -hmm. that may very well be true. As a historian, I just know it's very hard to identify the first because people calculate differently in their you know, different time frames. But I certainly say with great confidence she was one of the first. 
<laughs> well, that's okay. We'll say it for you because, you know, we don't mind. <laughs> We're holding on to that one. We had to let go of the hot comb, but we're holding on. All right. Hold on. Yeah, hold on to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That That is just amazing. What What are some of the stories that, that you can share with us um, on her journey and how she actually traveled um, all across the country building this network of uh, a sales force, so to speak? Well, you know, it really is it is mind-boggling when you think about it, you know, that their yeah. trains were segregated. Mm-hmm. This was a woman who was traveling on her own. Now, often, she, you know, she would have a traveling companion, another saleswoman who mm-hmm. was her secretary or who was working with her. But she traveled all over the United States, um, between, especially between 1906 and 1919 when she died, she even went to the Caribbean and Central America because she knew there were, of course, lots of women of African descent who needed her products. So in, and she, you know, she made connections. As you say, she was the original networker. There was an African-American woman who was an opera singer uh, named Ciceretta Jones, and Madam Walker had met her along the way, and she knew that Ciceretta Jones had an international following. She traveled to Europe and South America, and so on one of Ciceretta Jones's trips to the Caribbean, Madam Walker went along with her, and they, they, they went on a, a ship from New York to um, Havana. They, mm. they went to Cuba. They went to Jamaica, Costa Rica, uh, and Panama, and so Madam Walker was piggybacking on Ciceretta Jones's trip, but then doing her own thing by training sales agents. So she just had she had an amazing knack for inspiring other women, and I tell you, in some ways, I, the hair care products, in it, to to some degree, became a means to an end because mm-hmm. she knew she was giving women who otherwise would have been maids and sharecroppers and washerwomen and cooks an alternative. She would she put ads in the newspaper. You know, we, we see the Jenny Craig ads now, the before and after. She used the same kind of. Um, Concept, which she had a before picture where she her, she was going bald, which was really what caused her to develop these products. So a picture of her where she her hair was kind of patchy and short, and then a picture on either side of that, a front view and a side view, where you could see that her hair was down to her shoulders and quite full and healthy. And she in these ads in black newspapers, she women would write to her. One woman said. Um, before I started using Madam Walker's wonderful hair grower, my hair was an eighth of an inch long, and now now my hair is down my back, and I have been able to throw my wig away. So you know, I guess so. She's trying to get people not to wear weaves. She was right, right. She was a a marketer for sure. She was a marketer, and then the other one of the other letters in her ads, a testimonial. She was as much as she was selling hair care products to help women groom themselves. She was also selling this idea of economic independence and another woman wrote a letter to her and she said you have made it possible for a colored woman to make more money in a day Mm. selling your hair care products and she could in a month working Mm. in somebody's kitchen Mm. so i know wealthy sisters know about you have to go out on your own (laughs) that's what she was saying Wow. I mean, I just want to say to our listeners right now, just hearing this, and I know uh, everybody's so quiet because it's just, it's just amazing. What 
you know, just think about what our potential is today with all that we have and what she did with with little that she had as far as the resources, but that power, that that belief in herself, that that fearlessness. I mean, that that's incredible. Can you share with us um, her name and and the where Madam C J Walker that actually came from? Well, her name, she was Sarah Breedlove. Sarah Breedlove was her birth name. Her first mm-hmm. husband was McWilliams. She actually had a second husband named John Davis, who she really sort of tried to forget. I think a lot of us <laughs> have those, you know, people we'd like to forget. At one. At one time. At one time. <laughs> right. And then, the, then her third husband was a man named Charles Joseph Walker. She had met him in St. Louis and when her other marriage was ending. And, you know, her other husband was not not a nice guy. He was sort of running around on her. And she met Charles Joseph Walker through other friends in her church. When she moved to Denver in 1905 to really begin her business, Charles Joseph Walker joined her a few months later, and they were married in, in, uh, in Denver. Now, they stayed married until 1912, and then they divorced. I mean, she just really... She had more ambition than he, and she knew that she by 1912 she was really onto something. And he wasn't—he wasn't really quite with the program at that point. So she said, "You know, I," she said publicly, due to his narrowness of vision, we had to part ways. Wow! Back in 1912. Wow. 1912. Right. Wow. That's—I mean, just to think about her spirit and thinking of uh, just independence like that, and the mindset of not having to. Uh, depend on someone else. That that is, I mean, I'm speechless on that during that time. What what stories I can imagine have you heard, or um, I guess the challenges she faced. I can imagine she faced a lot from men. Uh, well, you both know, she, black you, and, and yeah, white. right. Well, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, and you know, there were class issues that were going uh-huh. on. You know, she did not have. A great deal of formal education. She became a self-educated woman. She actually hired a tutor so that she would be able to speak more clearly, so that her grammar would improve, so that her writing improved. So she was always, she was very much about self-transformation and developing Mm -hmm. self-confidence. So she had to overcome, you know, some of those circles that might have excluded her. And I think, in particular, there there was a, a moment where she was very much trying to get the attention of Booker T. Washington, who at the time was the most powerful black man in America. And he, she had written to him to ask him, for him to invest in her company. And all of those, all of your listeners who are businesswomen know about trying to build confidence in yes. investors. And he wrote her a letter back. It was, you know, she wasn't at the top of her game quite yet, but she was getting there. And he said, well, you know, I'm sorry, I have, my, I have other obligations. So we've all heard that brush off. Well, but she wasn't giving up. And she wrote it, she contributed $1,000 to the building fund of the Black YMCA in Indianapolis shortly after she moved there. Now, this was a big, big deal. $1,000. Wow. $1,000 in, in 1911. And that was lots and lots of money. So people were now reading about her in newspapers, black newspapers all over the country, not just because of her hair care products, but because of this contribution. And so the headlines were, you know, saying what she had done and how unusual it was. And so as she traveled, her audiences were getting bigger. People wanted to know about her. And so she said, she she wrote another letter to Booker T. Washington asking to visit his campus. 
and he brushed her off again, but she showed up anyway. <laughs> and she with a letter of endorsement from the YMCA secretary and you know, and he let her his secretary sort of dealt with her and let her speak at a small event but not the big event. But you know, uh-huh. then she stayed a few days and demonstrated her products. And then finally, a few months later, he was having his annual convention of his National Negro Business League. So she really wanted to speak. She got to the convention on the first day. She asked to speak. He ignored her request. On the second day of the convention, a good friend of hers, was, who was the publisher of a black newspaper, asked for her to speak. And Booker T. Washington brushed her off again and said, we're discussing lifetime membership, and then called on another of her neighbors from Indianapolis who was not talking about lifetime membership. And the man, coincidentally, had been the treasurer of the fundraising campaign for the wine, he'd given two hundred fifty dollars. Uh oh. Right. So you know she was not feeling so <laughs> pleased, but she waited until the last day of the convention and as the last banker was completing his remarks, she stood at her seat, looked toward Booker T. Washington at the podium and said, Surely you are not going to shut the door in my face. I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the mm. South. Mm. From there I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the kitchen, and from there, I promoted myself. Wow. And so the next year, he invited her back as the keynote speaker. Well, I bet he did. Wow. And <laughs> <laughs> you say, did she have any, did she face any sexism? Yes. And now I will tell you, by the, by the time Washington died in 1915, there was a mutual respect. And I had the most wonderful moment last week I was in Flint, Michigan and on a panel with a descendant of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, the same woman, Nettie Washington Douglass is a descendant of both men. And wow. also on the panel was Michelle Duster, who is a descendant of Ida B. Wells Barnett. And our ancestors all knew each other. Madam Walker didn't personally know Frederick Douglass, but she contributed money to uh, saving his home in in Anacostia, but uh-huh. we had the most amazing time together. Wow, I can imagine you really did. I mean, what 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 type of event was that, and is that something that will be an annual uh, event or? Well, you know, Deborah, like as you know, you you go along and just moments happen, and you realize this is transformative, and I think that's transformative. We were invited by a wonderful young woman named Lanisha DeBartolaben, who lives in Flint and who runs something, a grant called the Teaching for American History Grant. It's a federal grant, and she runs that for the the Flint Public Schools. And she invited the three of us to come talk with social studies teachers once a month. There are 65 social studies teachers get together in Flint, and they have presentations about ways to make social studies and history interesting. So the three of us did a workshop with the um, with the social studies teachers, and we tried to I tried to show them how my website is designed to help students with reports. And we talked to we talked to a public audience at the library the night before and another group of students. But we already have three requests to speak in different places around the country. So we're working out those details. Awesome. And in the meantime, I've heard another person on Facebook said, oh, do you know my friend who's a descendant of Du Bois, W.B. Du Bois? So I just just am am Facebooking that person today. So maybe this is going to become something. Because, you know, I think a lot of people who 
are descendants of famous people, sometimes it's just a little intimidating and overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Nettie and Michelle and I decided that we're far enough away, enough generations away from that famous person that we don't have that same pressure that the immediate generation had to try to live up to something, that we can be our own people and tell our own stories. Well, you definitely have done that. I mean, with your background and your experience as a, a producer, and how can you? Would you like to share some of your stories with that with us today, and how you know that um, the legacy? You know, because I really believe that our our past really determines our future, and it can have a lot to do with um, who we are today. You know, and just just seeing that legacy that you have, can you associate any of your success with with your career with that? Sure. You know, I think that first and foremost, I had really great parents mm-hmm. um, who really encouraged me and who said education was important, and who both were well educated people. Um, and just said, you know, you should you do the best you can. You don't have to live up to somebody else's reputation. So Madam Walker was not a part of my you know, daily, you know, stories. I you know, no one said, oh, you've got to be Madam Walker. And I and I really uh, am grateful to my parents for not making it a burden and for letting me discover it in my own way. And you know, the truth is, I was much more interested in her daughter. Alelia Walker, with whom I share a name because she knew all the Harlem Renaissance writers like Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston, and those were some of my heroes um, when I was a young person because I loved writing. But I was, and Madam Walker was a little problematic for me to tell you the truth. In the 1960s, when I was in high school, my senior year, when I wanted an afro and other people were associating Madam Walker with hair straightening and the hot comb. And, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know what I think about her. So I had to really do my own research and discover all of the things that she was as an entrepreneur, as a political activist, as an anti-lynching activist, uh, as a woman who was advocating economic independence for women. I had to, dis- I had to make it right with me. Mm-hmm. To in order to love her story, so that was that was the journey that I followed, and then I was you know then I followed the path of being a journalist, and I worked for thirty years for NBC News and then ABC News, and I learned how to be a good producer and how to be a good storyteller, how to deal with the media, how to um, write, and all of those things, and then I was able to bring those skills back to to what I do now, and so. When I write about Madam Walker, I make speeches, but I also have these other skills. And, you know, I must say I feel that they're gifts to be able to communicate with other people and to be able to use Madam Walker's story as a jumping-off point to inspire people both in business, entrepreneurs, and people who are interested in philanthropy. Wow, this is incredible. We are here live on Wealthy Sisters 347-838-9278. Our very special guest is none other than Miss Alilia Bundles, the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker. We are going to take a short break and come right back. And when we do, we'd love to be able to uh, learn more about the new project you're working on. You just alluded to it there with the Harlem Renaissance and and your great-grandmother's life, Alilia Walker. And I also want to learn uh, what's going on with that Congressional House Joint Resolution 81. So All right. stay tuned. We'll be right back. Mm. 
HardNet International, helping you design your future. We are business development consultants, your one-stop source for starting or enhancing your business. Our team of professionals are among the best in the country. Our services range from establishing your corporation to developing and executing your branding strategy to website design and promotion. We even help you with establishing your business credit. Visit us today at www.debrahardnet.com to view a full list of services or call toll-free 800-493-0339. Mention this ad and receive a 15% discount off our gold package. Do you feel like there's never enough time in the day? You have a laundry list of 20 things to do and you still haven't done, oh yeah, the laundry. Are you at a crossroads in your life and just not certain what's your next step? Are you just overwhelmed and feel like you have lost, well, you? We are here to help. Compass Coaching is a personal development company for women. We help you find your path and bring balance to your life. Visit us today at www.mypathmylife.com. We have life coaching plans as low as $19 a month and take our free assessment. That's www.mypathmylife.com. Every woman deserves a coach. We are live back on Wealthy Sisters with our very special guest, Miss Alilia Bondos, the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker. She's just been sharing some awesome information with us. If you just tuned in, don't worry. You can actually go back right after the show, right to our website, www.wealthysisters.com, and catch this episode and any of our others as well. We want to also remind everyone that we have just launched a new association, the Professional Black Woman. We are so excited about it. And today we want to say a special or give a special shout-out to our charter members who came on by April 30th, Ms. Marlene Alexander-Greenliff, Tracy Booker, we have Rita Cartwright, uh, Betty Hines, Daphne Clark-Hudson, also we have, uh, let's see, we don't leave anyone out, uh, Jacqueline Glass, we have Ms. Mary Ann Garlic, Chonya Davis-Johnson, and a host of Miranda DeCraft Amonfu, uh, Michelle Green also, we want to recognize Miss uh, L. Denise Jackson. I just get nervous when I have to read names out because I don't want to leave anyone out from this, but we've got to take the time to recognize Jania Mitchell as well. These are all of our charter members. We also have Miss um, Kim Thrower who came on board early, Pamela Smith-Evans, and also Sydney Shields, uh, Farrell, and Nikki Russell, and then and uh, we want to make sure, just checking all of our lists, again, these are our phenomenal charter members who came on board here by April 30th for our new association, and none other than our uh, businesswoman of the year we just celebrated, Ms. Cheryl Woods. So go to www.thepbwa.com and check out our charter members page. Our classes will start this week, and uh, we have a lot of other things in store, so stay tuned. So now we are back. Back here with our very special guest, Miss Walker, and she was sharing. Excuse me, Miss Bundles. She was going to share with us more information about the new project that you're working on on your great grandmother, Miss Walker. Yes, I, I actually now, having written my book on her own ground, 
The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker. That book came out a few years ago. And it was really the first fully comprehensive biography of Madam Walker. But lots of people wanted to know about her daughter, Alelia Walker, who Langston Hughes called the joy goddess of Harlem's 1920s. Wow. So I am writing that book right now. And, you know, like I think with as with many uh, children of famous people, her life has been overshadowed because of people, you know, there's the inevitable uh, desire or impulse to compare the two women. So Madam Walker was this great entrepreneur. And her daughter, of course, was not the same great entrepreneur she was, but she was a very interesting patron of the arts. She was um, able, she was very interested in music and theater and, in fact, had grown up in St. Louis in the 1890s in the midst of the beginning of ragtime music, um, but also had been exposed to classical music. The vice principal of her elementary school was a classically trained opera tenor who also was the organist at her church. And so she and many of the other really, you know, very poor black children in St. Louis were exposed to both ragtime and classical music. And some of her childhood friends became famous musicians. So she had early on in her life developed this affinity for music. She and her mother both loved everything from ragtime to opera, and they both enjoyed exposing their friends to some of these new young musicians. So during the 20s, her place, her homes that she had inherited from her mother were the places to be. If she had a party, everybody <laughs> wanted to be there. And wow. that goes from Langston Hughes and Duke Ellington to um, European royalty who would be visiting Harlem to uh, many of the white theater people and, and actors and actresses. So she, she really earned the title, the joy goddess of Harlem's 1920s. Say so she was doing it. That was the place was, to be, huh? That was the place to be. She had she converted the top floor of her the Harlem townhouse on 136th Street into a salon called the Dark Tower. So anybody who was writing about the the Harlem Renaissance during the 20s, it's a, if it's society columns, if it's books, always included a scene uh, at the Dark Tower. And anybody who now writes history about the Harlem Renaissance if it's really comprehensive, will include her. So I, but there's never been a major biography about her. So I've been, I've been working on that, and I hope to finish it by the end of this year. Well, we are excited about that because with you being one of our speakers at next year's Winter Summit Conference and Expo, perhaps we'll get a chance to get our hands on that book then. That's, we hope that it's done by then. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to next year's conference. Yes, yes. Well, we are as well. I mean, the the chat room, uh, Facebook, all of the calls and emails when we first announced that you are going to be one of our keynote speakers. I mean, everyone is just so excited about uh, being able to actually meet you in person and to just hear you share more of your story and uh, Madam CJ's as well. So we're excited. Thank you uh, again for accepting that. My, uh, totally my pleasure, totally. And we have a, we have a mutual friend. Yes. Uh, 
who connected us, who is really sort of the patron saint of many women. On yes. Oh, yes. And trust me, they had an opportunity to get a little taste of her this year. Uh, she actually came as just a support um, for the conference to, to me this year. And just an awesome woman, Ms. Linda Clemens. And, and definitely she got up on the stage for just 10 minutes and blew everyone away, as I know you know how she does. That's right. That's right. She's great. Yes, well, we actually have a caller on the line, if you wouldn't mind taking sure. a question. Sure. Miss um, Corrine Coco Melville, she's from Connecticut, and uh, she says she has a question that she wants to know uh, who actually, I guess, inspired Madam C.J. Walker. So, hello, how are you today? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm wonderful. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great, great call. I'm excited and delighted. Uh, to be in the presence of Miss Bundle. <laughs> and, so, yes, my question was, I mean, today we have so many people that we can look up to that inspire us. I'm just curious to know who was Madam J. Walker's inspiration at that time? You know, that's, that's a very good, good question. And, she, yeah. you know, as you, as you know, she was born very poor, and so she was really what you would, I would call one of those resilient children who instead of being beaten down by the obstacles, really learned how to overcome those obstacles and, and make something better. But I think those women in the church in St. Louis, when she was still a poor washerwoman struggling to find her way, those women gave her this vision of herself that you know, helped her see that she could be something else besides poor and illiterate. And so, And they were part of a national club women's movement. There was an organization called the National Association of Colored Women mm -hmm. that was founded in uh, the late 1890s. And now we have, you know, we see the sororities, the Deltas and the AKAs and the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, National Council of Negro Women, of course, Dorothy Height, who just died last week as part of that. So we take for granted this national organization of women. But it was some of some of the women in her church were part of that group, and they I think she really observed them and saw what they were able to do, and they were encouraging to her. So I think that was critical in terms of her personal transformation. But you know, like many mothers, and especially single mothers, they are determined that their children's lives will be better. And I think that is that her daughter and wanting her daughter's life to be better was a major motivation for her. Fabulous. Wow! Wow! Well, thank you so much for calling in, Coco. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Marcus, that's your favorite, so you'll be reminded of our shows. Will do. Thanks. All right. <laughs> that was a great question because I really think about you know the things that we. Well, actually, that's how we started the association today, the Professional Black Woman Association, because we wanted to be able to have the mentors. We wanted to have someone that we could really look up to, and it seems to have been maybe a disconnect from the generation uh, that Madam C.J. Walker lived in as opposed to our generation today. It's like that bridge is not, is not always there um, to really see what, what's happening. So that, that is great that she asked that question. And, you know, you, I mean, you're absolutely right because there are many organizations, but there are generational changes, and, and sometimes mm -hmm. a new generation, a next generation, has to apply some of the experiences that they've had. It's good to have a mentor who can give you the long perspective, but sometimes with all the new technology, with all the virtual opportunities, with 
with Internet, with Facebook, with social media. You know, it's some people of a previous generation don't want to get on that bandwagon, but you can't really conduct business today effectively, I think, unless you have that understanding. And she was, you know, she was a pioneer. In 1917, the year before Mary Kay was born, Madam Walker had her first convention of her sales agents. Wow. It Where gotten, was it? It was in Philadelphia um, and she at a church, and she had gotten that idea of organizing from this National Association of Colored Women. But she took what you know things to another level, where Mary Kay's organization gives prizes to the women who sold the most products and who brought in the most new sales agents. Madam Walker did that too, but she also gave prizes to the women who had contributed the most to charity in their communities. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the convention, the women sent a telegram to President Woodrow Wilson urging him to support legislation to make lynching a federal crime. So she wasn't just selling hair care products. <laughs> she was she using was that mission. power, right? Yes, yes, to, to do that. What are some of the other things that we know from history she actually helped to affect with some of the laws? And, and what happened? Did he, um, I, I can't say that I, I know when the well, you know, was. Well, you know, Woodrow Wilson was, was famously not friendly to black folks. <laughs> His administration resegregated federal offices, and he was the first uh, Southern-born president to have been elect- elected since the Civil War. So he was okay. Not so very that kind of explains that he couldn't right. help it. He <laughs> right. wasn't very right. He wasn't very sympathetic. But you know, she allied herself with people like W. E. B. Du Bois and James Weldon Johnson and Ida B. Wells Barnett and others who were uh, fighting for this um, to, to end lynching, and she contributed a lot of money to it. But I just love the fact that she was outspoken. Her attorney got kind of nervous when she would speak out on what he, you know, what were considered radical positions. But I love the fact that she didn't let her money stop mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Did she ever have to go to jail or anything like that, or be punished or anything no, for well, speaking you know, she, out? She, she never went to jail, but you know there were subtle ways. She and a number of African Americans wanted to go. To Paris uh, after World War One ended, there were peace talks at uh, Versailles in in France, and wow. she wanted to go. She was very interested. She'd been very supportive of the black soldiers who were fighting mm-hmm. and and trying to you know cut down on discrimination against them. And she and a number of other African Americans had applied for passports, and the State Department denied passports to them. And that was really seemed to be a direct result of her uh, outspokenness. Yeah, I, there's one little story. She and Ida B. Wells Barnett were at a convention in um, in D.C. where delegates among black organizations were being elected to go to to this conference. And uh, there was a black spy who was there who wrote up a report about them that he submitted to the War Department and called Madam Walker and Ida B. Wells Negro subversives. <laughs> Call him a hater today. That's exactly. a monster. Exactly. Uh, you know, this is the best. I love this. This is like being on the Nixon enemies list. Okay. <laughs> it just doesn't stop. That's just the nature. Human nature is just is is consistent. That's right. one thing. Exactly. <laughs> During the course of times, it's it's one thing. It's it's consistent. I I remember my grandmother speaking of that. She grew up in uh, Sparta, Georgia, and mm-hmm. she always said, "You have to be careful." 
<laughs> right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, run a tail. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, yes. So tell us, what what have we heard about the uh, Congressional House Joint Resolution 81? Well, there, there should be, we think there's going to be a vote. I spoke with the staff, one of the staff people in Congressman Rangel's office, um, last week, and they mm-hmm. they think there's going to be a vote at the end of this month. I would um, urge your re- your listeners to go to if they're on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and it's called I Support H J Hyson 81, honoring Madam C J Walker. And if they go to that site, they can see a link to the legislation itself, which is a commemorative. A bill honoring Madam Walker, and they also can find a link that where they can send a letter of support to their um, member of Congress. You know, or they can just send me a message on Facebook, and I will send that information to them. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we know we um, began promoting that last month, so we're we're excited to know that we still have time to continue to do that. So we will repost that on our page and on the Professional Black Woman's group page as well so that they can go and do the link. It's very easy. I did it. Um, and, and like you said, when you put in your zip code, would ask you to put your zip code in. It takes you straight to your representative's page. So, and you you said all we have to say is please support. That's uh, right. House Joint Resolution 81 honoring Madam C J Walker. So, right. And if you know if somebody wants to write a, you know another few sentences and mm-hmm. say why they think it should be supported or what they think about Madam Walker, that's fine. But but I know people are very busy, and so we just it's really to get the members of different members of Congress around the country to realize that there's somebody who's interested in it and you know it all of this stuff takes longer than you plan we thought initially that it would happen in march and during women's history month but it's taking a long time and i heard um patrick kennedy congressman patrick kennedy speak a a month or so ago and he said you know things are so polarized right now in congress that it's they're even having trouble getting uh, a bill through to honor eunice kennedy schreiber and special olympics so it just shows, you know, you've really, we've really got to show that there's support in order to get some kind of bipartisan uh, support. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so, what exactly would the the joint resolution do? What would it do for? You know, it's really just an honorary commemoration, and there, we, I think, we just don't know. There, there are hundreds and hundreds of famous people, uh, Americans, who get this commemoration. And it's, you know, there was a Madam Walker stamp in 1998. It's just one of those honors to just sort of put before the public these mm-hmm. people who are inspiring. So nobody's going to get any money. There's no legislation. That's, that's why I want to make it clear. So, there's no, you there's know. no funding and there's no taxpayer dollars that are going to be used for this. But it's really, it's a way to be able to say that Madam Walker is a worthy person. And, you know, when I'm, especially when I'm talking with kids and they're doing reports on Madam Walker, some of their teachers have never heard of her. So we just try to find all kinds of ways to help to support kids when they're trying to learn about inspiring people. Right, and I really did notice how your site is, um, which is MadamCJWalker.com, correct? Right. MadamCJWalker.com. I did notice um, what a great timeline you have there, and I could tell that you had it developed for students. So that that is, if anyone is listening, you have to do the book reports, your children. Uh, what a great, great site to go to and learn about the phenomenal Madam C.J. Walker. Where we have about two minutes left, and I do need 
need to say I left out Sonia Fletcher's name, uh, Kimberly Stevenson, Sharon Addison, and Jocelyn Harrison, who happens to be our show producer. want to thank her today for her awesome work as well. But we're about one minute left. What would you like to leave with our guest today? You know, I would, re- I would love for people to visit our site at MadamCJWalker.com, um, to look at our website for WalkerTheater.com, theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com. If they're in Indianapolis, please visit. I know next year when the National Coalition of 100 Black Women has its convention there, they will come. And, you know, read my book, On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker. We're just we're really excited that this woman who lived 100 years ago still has the power to inspire entrepreneurs and philanthropists and, and to let us know that things are possible, that uh, the people who have dreams can realize those dreams. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Ms. Sondos, for being our very special guest today. We do look forward to next year at the Winter Summit having you there. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to learn more, go to www.thewinners.com. Summit.com. Tickets are available. They are selling out. We already have people that have registered as well for next year, so we're excited about that. Once again, thank you for being our special guest. Tune in next week where we'll have another awesome guest on our show. We'll be talking about building your credit. So this, again, has been Deborah Hartnett with another episode of Wealthy Sisters. Continue to have an awesome day. Thank you for tuning in. This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters brought to you by theprofessionalblackwoman.com, where success is inevitable. Join Deborah Hardhead, our host, next week as she interviews another powerful, positive, progressive, wealthy sister and visit us on the web at www.wealthysisters.com. See you next time. Hello.